Good morning, everybody. So we're going to start with story time, right? Everybody likes a good story. I want you, you know, uh, I want you to meet Reuben. I think his picture's up there. It's all clear over on the sides. Uh, Reuben's a good guy. He works hard, and uh, he likes to have a good time. Reuben occasionally, though, will find himself making the kind of decisions or the choices that can get him into uh, areas that he never imagined he would go. Kind of like the day he was at the gym, and he uh, spotted Laura over on the stair climber. And Reuben's working out, you know, he's getting in shape, looks pretty good. But he sees Laura, and he decides to go over there, climb the stair machine next to her was open. And he started talking to her, and he found out that they had a lot in common, that she was in the tech industry like him. So they kind of started up a conversation. And a couple more times at the gym, he'd see her, he'd wave, they'd talk, they'd do a little stair climbing together. And then they decided to go out one day and have a cup of coffee. And so they met in a coffee shop. And they wanted just to talk about best practices, you know, like you get with other people in your industry and you collaborate a little bit. And uh, he found out that uh, Laura was married like him, had two kids. But her marriage wasn't as, let's just say, as, as good as she wanted it to be. And uh, so they started talking, they started texting, they met a couple more times. And the one thing Reuben did was he kept those texts from his wife. He kept them confidential. And something inside Reuben told him that he should stop this relationship before it went any farther, but he just couldn't. Because when he met with her, she started to open up to him about the heartbreak in her, her marriage. And like a lot of guys, you know, our job's to protect, right, and to comfort. And so he would listen to her. She'd start to, to, to shake or sob, and he would uh, he'd put his arm around her. And those side hugs became deeper embraces, led to kisses, and then you guys know the rest of the story. Pretty soon, Reuben finds himself in a full-blown affair with Laura. You know, he never intended that to happen, never. But he didn't stop it either. But when the word or words, I love you, slipped out of his mouth, he knew he'd gone past the point of no return. He felt like he had found his true soulmate. So he went home. He told his wife that I'm, uh, I'm done. I'm not happy. I'm going to file divorce papers on you. I'm going to leave you and the kids. And so he did that. And he decided that he really wanted to be with Laura forever. You know, ironically, that's when things started to unravel for him. Uh, two weeks later, after he filed the divorce papers, he got called into a meeting. He worked for a tech company. And guess what? The tech company got bought out. And his jobs and several other jobs were going to be outsourced. He was out of work. The first person he reached out to wasn't his ex-wife. It was Laura. He texted her because she always responded immediately, but she didn't respond to his texts. So then he called her. She didn't respond. The phone went right to voicemail. This went on through the afternoon, no response. And you know, you know how that is? Your chest starts to tighten up a little bit. He thought, I hope she's okay. And he, still no response. So he drove over to her office, and he was always very careful. You know, this was all under, undercover, so to speak. He drove over to the parking lot. He parked, and he, he saw her car there, so he knew she was there, waited for her to come out late in the afternoon. And when she walked out, he walked over to her. And the minute she turned and looked at him, he knew that his suspicions were correct. There was something wrong. Her eyes were red. She opened up. Her eyes got bigger a little bit, and she said, Reuben, she goes, I'm so sorry. She goes, I have to end it. It's over. 
And he reached out to her, and at that point, she turned around and she walked over to her car, got in her car, started it up, and drove off. And he never saw her again, never heard from her. Well, now he's really alone, you know. Um, his marriage is over. He just doesn't even have custody of his kids yet, and his wife wants nothing to do with him. So like most men, what does he do? He starts to plan. <laughs> well, I have to have a plan B. And he goes back and he looks at his finances and realizes his severance package is not going to pay for alimony, an apartment, child support. So he starts shooting out resumes. Well, he's in the tech industry. There's not a lot of work to be had. Nobody calls him. He gets no interviews. So finally, out of desperation, he reaches out for unemployment benefits. And that's a program you do online these days. You know, you apply for unemployment insurance. You wait. You've got to put in a lot of documentation. And finally, he gets an email back that he's been approved. But it's conditional that he has to go to a seminar and, like you guys, sit in a room and find out how these benefits are administered. So he goes to that seminar and comes in, kind of goes to the back. He's embarrassed to be there. And uh, he has no idea what's in store for him. As everybody files in, the unemployment representative walks in the door. And as he walks in, he looks over and he kind of looks around the room and he starts his conversation. And Reuben looks at him. Reuben recognizes him. It's Laura's husband. Yeah. You know, you know that story, ever want to get out of town? Southwest Airlines? Well, he's in the back. He kind of slumps down into his chair and he knows the color's drained out of his face. So for the next hour, which seemed like a lifetime, this representative shared all this. And he didn't hear a word of it because he's staring at this man going, you know what, I need, I need to go up and face him. I've got to face these consequences. I've made these very poor decisions, and I owe it to this guy to come clean. So at the end of the seminar, he walks up to the front of the room, and there's a couple people talking, and he just keeps his eyes down, and then he looks up, and Joe looks at him, and Joe recognizes him. And he goes, Joe, he goes, I he loses the words. He's, he's been practicing this for an hour, and he just locks up. He looks down. He looks back up. He goes, Joe, I am so sorry. He said, I, I screwed up. I really screwed up with Laura, with you. He says, I'll do whatever it takes to make this right by you. And he looks down again, and he's fully, he, his mind has gone through all the possibilities of what Joe could do, including just smacking him, you know. But he looks up. And instead of seeing fear or anger in Joe's eyes, he sees compassion. And Joe looks at him and says, Reuben, you know, what you intended for wrong, God intended it for good. God intended it for good. Have you ever seen that in your life? Have you ever gotten yourself, have you ever made decisions that have had some serious consequences like that? I think all of us have. But have you ever had to come face to face with somebody that you, that you, wronged like that and had to make it right that's what happened that day but have you ever heard anybody say don't worry what you intended to harm me God intended it all for good you don't normally hear that and in this story this was a fictional story we we, we added some details modernized it a little bit but it is based on a true story in the Bible and it is from the book of Genesis and it's about a man named Reuben. 
Now, Reuben was the oldest son of Jacob in the Bible. If you were here last week, Pastor Bob would have taught about Reuben or about Jacob and Jacob's ladder. So Reuben is the next generation, okay? And Reuben did something very terrible to his younger brother, Joseph, who later in life had the opportunity for some major paybacks, some major revenge in Reuben's life. And we're going to jump right into that story right now. What we're going to find out is that Joseph was the one who originally said God intended it all for good. So let's jump into that story. If you have your Bibles with you, you're going to want to open up to Genesis, the first book of the Bible, verse 2. We're not going to have a lot of the scripture on the screens. We're going to have the verses. But if you don't have a Bible, we've got one here for you. Or a Bible app works pretty good too, smartphones, version. But there are Bibles in the back, and I encourage you to pick one up. If you don't own a Bible, guys, ladies, you can take one on us today. We'd love to have that as a gift for you. Genesis 37, verse 2. When Joseph was 17 years old, he often tended to his father's flocks. He worked for his half-brothers, the sons of his father's wives, Bilhah and Zilpah. I love those names. Who gives women those kind of names anymore? I don't think they do. But Joseph reported to his father some of the bad things his brothers were doing. You think about it. Joseph was the youngest brother, and he's obviously a snitch because he's telling on his brothers. In fact, my sister used to call me a tattletale, right? You ever hear that? That's an old term. Yeah, yeah, he was a tattletale. Verse 3, Jacob loved Joseph more than any of his other children because Joseph had been born to him in his old age. So one day... Jacob had a special gift made for Joseph, a beautiful robe. And I think we've got a picture of that up here. Ah, Sorry, it's on this one. Great. I'll figure it out here. Well, some Bible translations call this a coat of many colors, right? But it was a custom-made robe that he gave to his son. Listen to this, verse 4. But his brothers hated Joseph because their father loved him more than the rest of them. They couldn't say a kind word to him. How many of you have brothers here? Grow up with brothers? Yeah? You know how hard it is to grow up with brothers, probably especially you, 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 you women, right? Uh, I grew up with just one sister, so I didn't have to deal with a brother, but my wife has three brothers, so it, it, it's amazing to hear the stories and how that went. But imagine if you had ten brothers and every one of them hated you. That would be a, uh, be a rough life, wouldn't it? Wouldn't be fun going home. Wouldn't be fun. But jo- Joseph had some things going for him. We know that his father blessed him and loved him. And God loved and blessed Joseph from the, the day he was born until he died. He was blessed by God. And God gave Joseph two amazing prophetic dreams when he was young. And these dreams showed that at, at a point in his life, he would be raised to a level of authority where his brothers would bow down to him. So he had God's blessing. The challenge for Joseph is he's young and he's enthusiastic, but he doesn't have a lot of wisdom yet. So guess what he does? He shares those dreams with his brothers. You can imagine. I mean, in that society especially, the oldest brother had the most station or the most position in the family, right? In fact, the oldest brother would get half or twice as much, I should say, of the inheritance of the next brother. So you can imagine his 10 older brothers... um, didn't care much for Joseph. In fact, they disliked him so much they conspired to kill him. 
We're just going to kill him and get rid of him. We're over with him. And this is where his oldest brother, Reuben, comes into the story. So we pick up the story again, same chapter, Genesis 37, verse 21 through 22. It said, but when Reuben heard of their scheme, he came to Joseph's rescue. Let's not kill him, he said. Why should we shed any blood? It's pretty smart. Let's just throw him into this empty cistern, which was like a well here in the wilderness. Then he'll die without our laying a hand on him. Reuben was secretly planning to rescue Joseph and return him to his father. So they're out and tending their sheep. They're in an oasis of some kind, and there's an empty well there, and it's obviously deep enough that throwing him in, which is what they did, wasn't going to allow him to get out. And he was going to die of natural exposure, you know, dehydration, whatever. But listen to this. Before Reuben could save Joseph, could come back, the brothers sold Joseph into slavery. You see, a, a slave caravan, Egyptians, had come by into this oasis, and obviously they spied what was going on. And they said, why would you throw a perfectly good 17-year-old away? You know, the Bible says he, this guy, yeah, well, some of us might. <laughs> I'm kidding, I'm kidding. Occasionally thought of it when my kids were that age. But, um, but this, the Bible says that Joseph was, was built. He was big, he was strong. So the, the slave traders said, hey, we'll buy him from you. And the brothers said, oh, that's a great idea. <laughs> we can make money on this. So they sold him for 20 pieces of silver to the slave traders, and they took him to Egypt. Now they have to come up with a story, right? Because they've got to go back home to dad. And this is dad's favorite son. So they took that coat, that really nice coat of many colors, and they shredded it up, and they sprinkled goat's blood all over it. And they told their dad, dad, during the night, wild animals struck and carried him off, and we, we never even found his body. We found his coat. And you can imagine his dad. And they went on with their lives, never giving it another thought. They figured, we're never going to see the guy again. You know, ne- ne- they didn't realize, though, what was going to happen to him down the road because this sin was going to come back to them. So they went on with their lives. We fast forward several decades here. No word from Joseph. Life is busy like it is for us. The brothers assume he's dead. Dad is still mourning his son because he's never had a chance to even properly bury bury him. So he's mourning him. But everything goes on as normal until, until the famine hits. Now this was no normal famine. Give you an idea. This would be like the... Great Depression, which I don't remember, by the way. I'm not even that old, but it's good. My grandparents went through it. The Great Depression, the Dust Bowl, and the Great Recession, which most of us have lived through, (laughs) all rolled into one. It was a seven-year period of time, and it hits. And during this time, Joseph's brothers now have their, their businesses, their enterprises, their farms, They've grown. They have hundreds of people that are relying on them for food, shelter, for income. And this famine hits, and nothing grows. The Bible says that you could neither sow nor reap. It was that bad. Kind of like the Dust Bowl. You couldn't plant crops. The animals, there was nothing to feed them, so they they butchered, slaughtered them, and ate them, but that animals depleted to nothing. There was no food in all the land. And the people... Joseph's brothers, Jacob, were facing starvation. So they heard about, they heard that there was food in Egypt. 
that they were actually had a, a, an abundance of grain and they were selling it. And Jacob said to Reuben and his brothers, go, go to Egypt and buy some grain. Save us. We're going to starve if we don't go buy grain. So they did. They, they went off. They went on this journey. They heard about this guy who had risen somewhat mysteriously to the number two position in all of Egypt. And this guy had predicted this famine. He'd, he'd actually interpreted Pharaoh's dream and he predicted it. And during the seven years of plenty, he had put away all this food. And Pharaoh had promoted him to number two. And he was over this food distribution program and administration. They didn't know his name, but they wanted to meet with him. And so they got an audience with him. Now there's, uh, there's a lot in the story that we are fast-forwarding through, okay? I encourage you to read it. You guys would be here all day if I told the whole story of Joseph. <laughs> but I want, it's an amazing story of this back and forth with the brothers and Joseph. But they got to Egypt. They got this meeting, and they go into the, this, this palace room. And I think we've got the picture here. Yes, thank you. But you can imagine, at the time, you guys, Egypt was the most powerful nation on the planet. It was the superpower. You can see this scene. And the brothers are down here. And they walk in the room. And they don't recognize Joseph right away, but he recognizes them. And that's the story I want you to read. But at a, at a certain point, he tells them, I'm your long-lost, sold-into-slavery, left-for-dead brother, Joseph. Can you imagine that? Another story about you ever want to get out of town? You think about these guys, you know, especially Reuben over here. I'm guessing this is Reuben. I don't know that for sure. But uh, Reuben's in charge of this group. Jacob told him to take the brothers and go and buy grain, and now they're standing in front of the brother that they beat up, threw into a well, and now he's the second most powerful man. I'm sure most of Reuben and the rest probably thought we're not going to get out of the room alive. You know, this is it. But what's interesting, what's amazing, is that Joseph greeted them warmly, welcomed them. It actually says that he came down and he embraced them and he kissed every one of his brothers. And he said, it's great to see you guys. And he said, go send for dad. Go send for your families. Come to, come to Egypt. You have a place here. You have a home. We've got food. We've got all you need here. And it was a miraculous reconciliation. God intended it all for good. All the bad things that Joseph, and I didn't even cover them, all the bad things that happened to Joseph, God intended it all for good. And this was the place. So they go back. They get their families. They get dad, Jacob. They bring him to Egypt. And they settle into their new lives. And life goes on pretty well until, until Jacob dies. Now, Jacob had always told the sons that if I die in Egypt, I want to be taken back and buried in, in my homeland in Canaan. So they took him back. The brothers took him back. Joseph went with them. They buried him. And on the way back is when the brothers started to panic. They started to imagine, oh, well, here we go. You know, we're dead meat now. So we pick this up in Genesis chapter 50 now. We move 13 chapters ahead, verses 15 through 20. These are the brothers talking. It said, now Joseph will show his anger and pay us back for all the wrong we did to him. 
So they sent a message to him. This is kind of interesting. Before your father died, he instructed us to say to you, please forgive your brothers for the great wrong they did to you, for their sin in treating you so cruelly. So we, the servants of the God of your father, beg you, we beg you to forgive our sin. When Joseph received the message, he broke down and wept. And you can, it doesn't really tell us what was going through Joseph's mind here, but he did this several times because he felt like he had reconciled with his brothers, but they were still in fear of him. They were still dealing with the consequences of selling him into slavery. But Joseph called them back to the palace. And he said in verse 18, it says, Then his brothers came and threw themselves, threw themselves before Joseph. Think about that. They didn't just come in and stand there this time. This time they came in and they at least hit their knees. And I got a feeling they were probably prostrate on the floor. Threw themselves before him and said, look, we are your slaves. You know, slaves don't have any rights. They don't have any privileges. They threw themselves on the mercy of Joseph. And what's interesting, when, if you go back and read this, that was the dreams that came to him from God, is that his brothers would bow down before him. And here they are on their faces. But Joseph said, verse 19, don't be afraid of me. Am I God that I can punish you? You intended to harm me, but God intended it all for good. God intended it all for good. Have you ever experienced that kind of forgiveness? You know, we don't see that anymore. I don't see it a lot in this world. You know, we watch movies and shows called Payback, you know, things like that, right? Somebody's wronged and your natural human emotion is all right. You know, time to kick butt, take names. You know, they're going to pay for everything they did to me. Or we drive down the road. I was in Phoenix here a couple of weeks ago. One billboard after another. Been wronged? 1-800-DIVORCE. 1-800, you know, one attorney after the other. If you've been wronged, if you've been, anything's been done to you, we get people back. That's the society we live in, right? It seems like it is. But that's not the kind of forgiveness that Joseph showed. He had every right to take payback on those guys, but he didn't. We found this video. This is a very modern. This comes from uh, a video series called On the Road. It's actually CBS News pr produces this. I want you to watch this story. It's about three minutes. We end this week with a lesson in forgiveness from Steve Hartman on the road. It all went down on this block in Benton Harbor, Michigan. Back in 05, Jamel McGee says he was minding his own business when a police officer accused him of and arrested him for dealing drugs. You're saying the officer made it up? Yeah, it was all made up. Of course, a lot of accused men make that claim, but not many arresting officers agree. So you phonied the report? I did. I falsified the report. This is former Benton Harbor police officer Andrew Collins. Were you just trying to chalk up an arrest? Yeah, basically, the start of that day, I was going to make sure I had another drug arrest. And in the end, you put an innocent guy in jail. Correct. Yeah. You lost everything. I lost everything. My only goal was to seek him when I got home and to hurt him. Really? That was my goal. 
Eventually, that crooked cop was caught, served a year and a half for falsifying many police reports, planting drugs and stealing. Of course, Jamel was exonerated, but he still spent four years in prison for a crime he didn't commit. Today, both men are back here in Benton Harbor, which is a small town, maybe a little too small. Hey, guys, thank you. Last year, by sheer coincidence, they both ended up at Mosaic, a faith-based employment agency where they now work side-by-side in the same cafe. Oh, excuse me. And it was in these cramped quarters that the bad cop and the wrongfully accused had no choice but to have it out. And I said, honestly, I have no explanation. All I can do is say I'm sorry. And Jamel says that was all it took. That was pretty much what I needed to hear. Today, they're not only cordial. Saturday, we went to the trampoline park. They're friends. Uh, You know, we talk about life. Such close friends. Not long ago, Jamel actually told Andrew he loved him. And I just started weeping because he doesn't owe me that. Uh, I don't deserve that, you know? Did you forgive for his sake or for yours? No, for our sake. Not just us, for our sake. Jamel went on to tell me about his Christian faith and his hope for a kinder (laughs) mankind. He wants to be an example. So now he and Andrew give speeches together about the importance of forgiveness and redemption. Grab this one, set it over there. And clearly, if these two guys from the coffee shop can set aside their bitter grounds, what's our excuse? Steve Hartman, On the Road, in Benton Harbor, Michigan. And that's the CBS Evening News for tonight. Quite a story, isn't it? Yeah, true story. Yeah, I watched that. I watched that a couple times. First time it was, it, it, I teared up a little bit. I just couldn't believe that. You don't hear that anymore. And he, I'm, I'm, I applaud CBS News for for doing this. But Jamal, Jamal is a picture of Joseph, right? Jamal did not have to forgive Andrew there which could be a picture of, of Reuben, but Jamal is a, a small picture of Joseph and what he did. And Joseph is a picture of Jesus' forgiveness. It's an Old Testament picture of Jesus' forgiveness. You know, Joseph forgave Reuben and his brothers, which was an amazing story. But you think about Jesus. Jesus forgives us all. Every human that's ever walked the face of the earth, billions of people, Jesus has chosen to forgive us all because God intended it all for good. You know, we started out in the garden, and a few weeks ago we were sharing that. Bob shared with you about uh, origins, right, and how we were created in God's image and his likeness, and then God said it, it was not good, but it was what? Very good. And then a few short chapters later, we, we fall. We, we make the wrong choices, you know, just like Reuben did. Yet God intended it all for good because he sends Jesus into this world to make it right again. And Jesus not only forgives our sins, but he gives us a new life. He gives us an opportunity for a new life. And he puts us on a new path. And he saves us both physically and spiritually. And then he offers us eternal life. Romans 6.23 is, is a really powerful message. It says, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life 
through Christ Jesus our Lord. The wages of sin, what we earned, that earned us death. And we know that in the room, right? We all die. I hate to say it. Some of us are a little closer, you know, but we're all going to die. Nobody gets out of this alive. That's the physical death. But we can get out of it spiritually. We have an opportunity. And Jesus walked the earth in the New Testament. He really portrayed forgiveness. We picked three examples very quickly. One in the, in the Gospel of Matthew. Uh, a group of friends brings a paralyzed man in on a mat. He's been paralyzed his whole life. Jesus sees these men, and there might have been some women in there too. They didn't say. But he is astounded by their faith, and he, he tells this paralytic, he said, your sins are forgiven. He heals him spiritually, and then he said, get up and walk. Take your mat and walk. And he's healed physically. So the spiritual healing comes first. In the Gospel of uh, Luke, there's a great story about an immoral woman who comes to a dinner party at the home of Simon the Pharisee. And you know the Pharisees? Very righteous, very churchy. Jesus is at this party, and this woman comes in, and it says she's an immoral woman with many sins. And she comes in behind Jesus, and she literally falls at his feet. And she cries so much, she's so broken, that her tears wet his feet. And he wash, she dries his feet with her tears. And Jesus tells her, your sins are forgiven. A love that was that great. It's because God, you guys, God intended it all for good, not for evil, but God intended it all for good. And probably one of the greatest stories, and we're going to be getting into this season, and we're in Lent right now, is that Good Friday when Peter denied Jesus three times. Denied he even knew him, even cursed him. And yet when Jesus came back, he found Peter, and he said, Peter, do you love me? Peter said, yes, I do, Lord. He said, well, then feed my sheep. He called him to be his first shepherd or his first pastor. Amazing stories of forgiveness that could have been divine retribution, but he forgave Peter. God intends it all for good. You know, Reuben is a picture of our sinfulness. But you know what? He's not the, the object lesson. We all sin, right? Amen? We all fall short of the glory of God. And we're all guilty of sin. We're born into it, but we also choose to sin daily. But Jesus died for all that, guys. He died for that because God intends it all for good. He wants us all to spend eternity with him. He loves us. Our God loves us more than we could ever imagine. He intends it all for good. This last verse I want to share with you is so powerful. And as we were prepping this, uh, Pastor Bob said, you know, this really puts an exclamation point on this whole message. And it's from Jeremiah 29, 11. It says, for I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. They are plans for good and not for disaster to give you a future and a hope. As you guys read that, I want you to put your name behind that. For I know the plans I have for you, Kitty. I know the plans I have for you, Zach. I know the plans I have for you, Ashley. Nicole. For I know the plans I have for you, Jason. And Adam. Put your name in there. They are plans for good and not for disaster to give you a future and a hope. God intended it all for good. He still intends it all for good. 
Would you guys put your stuff aside for a minute? We're going to transition into a time of uh, prayer and worship now. And I just, first of all, want to thank you guys for your kindness and your attention today. Love coming up here. You know, I had a, I had a thought about how I wanted to end this message. Um, but last night, God tends to put other things on your heart. And uh, I want to share a true story that happened just last week in Bozeman couple of connectors, and I won't mention their names because I didn't ask them for their approval, but two younger connectors that go to our church there, the Bozeman campus, the afternoon they went out shooting out west of Ennis, you know, out target shooting. And they were coming home in late afternoon and driving down the road, and they found this young man by the side of the road, and uh, his motorcycle was tipped over. And one of the connectors, he, he's actually worked at the hospital. He's got medical training. And they stopped the car. They ran over to him. And he was kind of face down in the dirt. And he slowly turned him over. And he could tell that he was in, you know, distress. He, he, his eyes were just, you know, were so confused. And, and he, was, he was convulsing. And he literally died right there in their arms. And uh, they came home. And they went and they actually saw went over and talked to Pastor Russ and Chris because it was so traumatic for him. And uh, the connector, I, I want to say her name, but I won't. She said, you know, I was praying for him, but I just couldn't get the words out fast enough. He was there, and then he was gone. And, you know, I think about that. We don't know where that young man was on his faith journey. He could have been a believer since he was little, but the look in his eyes, it was just confusion because he got up that morning he didn't plan to die that night, did he? He's 21 years old. He's in the prime of his life. And later we found out that he was doing jumps on that motorcycle, and one time he got over the front of the handlebars, and he went face first into the dirt. And one minute he was alive, and one minute he was dead. There's nothing we can do for him, and I pray today that he is in heaven. Uh, it was so traumatic for them. That, but they came upon that scene, and it was divinely inspired. Amen? divinely inspired. They were there for a purpose. We don't know what God's purpose is. But I do know this. The one thing God put on my heart last night was that anyone in this room, that we would be ready if that moment comes. If it comes when you go out of the parking lot here and something happens, that you know that even though you're surprised, you're ready, right? Amen. You're ready to step across into, the, into eternity. I think of that Romans 6.23 verse. I don't know if we've got that, if you can put that back up, Vince. But for the wages of sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. See, there's a physical death we're all going to experience, right, because of sin. We can't escape that one. But there's a spiritual death that we can by choosing, choosing Jesus as our Savior and Lord. So let's bow our heads right now, if you would. And... Uh, you want to drop the lights a little bit too, buddy. Appreciate that. I just want to pray with you guys. I, I think about the free gift of eternal life that's in Christ Jesus. You know, if I brought a gift up here to you guys right now and I stepped off of here and I had this gift and I said, here's a gift for you. Here's a gift for you. Take it. A free gift. And you didn't take this gift, then you haven't taken this gift 
You have to actually take this gift. You have to open this gift up. And that's the gift that Jesus gives us, eternal life. But we have to step across the line of faith. We have to ask Jesus to come into our hearts and put in us a new mind and a new soul. So I want to ask you right now, if there's anybody here that hasn't taken a hold of this free gift, would you just raise your hands with me so I can pray with you? Because I want to make sure if something happens today and you're called home, you're called to a true home, your eternal home. Is there anybody here that needs to step across that line of faith today? Anybody at all? Here in the back. I see you. Anybody else? Right now is the time, you know, don't be afraid of men. <laughs> Do not fear men. I see you, young man, right there. Good. Anybody else? I want to give you a minute. I want to give you a minute. We've had several people raise their hands. Thank you, Jesus, for that. Would you all stand to your feet, and would you pray with me? I want to just pray a prayer of salvation over these that have raised their hands today. Let's just bow our heads, close our eyes. And would you just pray along with me? Lord Jesus, I am a sinner. I'm a sinner in thought, word, and deed. Forgive me, Lord Jesus. I know you died for me on the cross. You took my penalty upon yourself. And your blood washes me clean. Thank you, Jesus. I'm sorry for my sins. I repent of them. Help me to make you the Lord and the Savior of my life. Help me to follow you every day for the rest of my life. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. The whole church said... Amen. Amen. Amen.